All right, so we're going to wrap up our Advent series today uh, by talking about habits and the habits that we build into our lives that help us become the people that God created us to be. Uh, if you're anything at all like me, you have this image in your mind of the best version of yourself, the kind of person that you would like to be, the, the way that you would like to treat people, the way that you would like to make decisions, the way that you would like to focus on you know, your tasks or your job or whatever. And oftentimes, our, our greatest regrets and frustrations in life is when we don't live up to that picture in our heads. When we kind of look at our decisions and interaction, we walk away from an interaction with somebody and we kind of go, oh man, I, I'm better than that. I know better than that. I can do better than that. I, I wish I had not said what I said or acted the way I acted. Uh, we walk away from decisions. We get down the road, six months down the road from a decision, and we think back and we go, man, I, I should have known better. If I'd have just slowed down and taken some time or remembered what my parents taught me or whatever, I could have made a better decision. And we, we, we don't even live up to our own expectations for ourselves, right? Stepped on the scale this morning, and I thought, I know better than to eat the way I ate last week, right? I know better. I can do better than that. So my, my actions, the way I live, doesn't always even match up to my own expectations for myself and my own values. How much more do I fall short of Jesus's expectations? Because Jesus has values for us, too. He has a way that he created us to live, and he, he demonstrated that. He taught that. The New Testament writers go on and, and dive deeper into what that looks like. And Jesus's values are not always things that I would necessarily choose for myself. The value of forgiveness. We don't often wake up and think, man, you know what I really want to do today? I just want to forgive everyone who's ever hurt me. We don't, that's not an internal value. That's something that, that God puts in us through his Holy Spirit that says, this is, this is what you're created for. This is how you're supposed to live. And, and we don't even live up to our own values, much less the ones that Jesus sort of uh, calls us to, right? So we have some options. We can either say, well, this is just who I am. Take it or leave it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to really change. I'm not going to get any better. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to live with the disappointment of not being, you know, all that I could be. Or we could say, what, what's the use of having these values anyway? Why not, just, why not just do what makes me happy and trust that it's all going to work out in the end? God is loving, right? And I'm sure it'll be fine. And... But there's a third option. Uh, the third option is to acknowledge that God deserves all of me. He's earned it. He, he bought me. He paid for me with the blood of his own son. Like he, he deserves everything I have to give. 100% of me. And what else can I do with my life but try to live into that? But try to offer him everything I can. And if that means I need to change and grow, so be it. I'll change and grow. So what does it look like? What kind of habits do we build into our lives to, to live out this gift that God has given us of life with Christ? So what I want to do today is actually look at the early life of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. And I want to look at the, the early life of Jesus and just see what, what kind of young person was he. And were, were there some things about how Jesus lived and the habits that he formed, the rhythms of his life, that, that maybe can help me and give me some guidance and direction for what God has called me to. Because ultimately, <clears throat> we're not going to become the kind of person God created us to be just by living longer. I, th I think a lot of us think, well, when I get older, this is, how, this is how I used to think, well, when I get older, I'll just be better. I'll be wiser. I'll be more mature. I'll be a better decision maker when I get older. And then I got to what I thought was older, and I'm like, I still make 
dumb decisions. I still rush into things. I still act immaturely sometimes. I, just getting older doesn't make me better. What, what is, what is going to bring me to the place where, where God, God has called me into this lifestyle that reflects the nature and character of Christ? It's going to take some intentional effort and maybe some sacrifice on my part. So let's look at Jesus, his early life. So this picks up right after sort of the birth of Jesus narrative in Luke and I just want to start with the bookend verses of this passage. So Luke 40 and Luke 52, or 240 and 252, sort of uh, are the bookends of this passage. And here's, here's how those read. And the child, that is Jesus, grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. That's verse 40. Verse 52 says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. <clears throat> in these verses, we, we get sort of this picture of Jesus developing, growing, not just physically, but in some sense, he's growing spiritually. He's growing, his personality is growing, his character is developing. That's, that's kind of an odd thing for us to think about. I mean, we sort of think, well, Jesus is God, right? So probably he came out of the womb, like fully for, like he had all the wisdom and all the knowledge and all the understanding as a baby, right? I don't know if that makes sense either, but that's, that's sort of the easy way to think about it. But these passages seem to indicate that Jesus actually developed. Now, let me be really clear. I'm not implying that Jesus went from being a, a sinful or a bad young person to a good and perfect person. Our theology is sort of based on the truth that Jesus did not sin. I mean, he was perfect. He honored God in everything that he did. But there's also indication in Scripture that Jesus did grow and develop. His character developed. His integrity, his understanding developed. So what does that mean for us? So Paul indicates in Philippians chapter 2 that, that when Jesus becomes, when he chooses to become a human being, he sort of lays down divine rights. And, and, and all of these things that were his by right as the Son of God, he lays down, and then he grows and, and becomes the man uh, who, who went on to give his life for the world. Uh, this is how the Hebrews writer understood Jesus' development. In Hebrews 5, 7, and 8, he says, during uh, the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was. So the Hebrews writer says, he's the son of God. Make no mistake about it. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. How did, how did, why did Jesus have to learn obedience if he started out, you know, fully formed with all the wisdom and character and integrity that he, he needed as an infant? Well, I don't know. It's, this is mysterious. And some of us were scratching our heads over this. <clears throat> but the picture that the New Testament is painting for us is that Jesus did grow in his character and development, though he did not sin. What do we do with that? How, how do we look at that and go, okay, maybe there's something for us here. We want to look at some of the rhythms of Jesus' early life and, and what, what were built into his community, but also the choices that he made, and see how Jesus grew and developed into the into the. The, the leader, uh, the, the teacher, the rabbi uh, that we get to see later on in the New Testament. So let's start in the, in the next verse, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. So this is just a statement about this is a spiritual rhythm that's built into the community of the Jews. Now, this is an advantage I think they have over us. They didn't have to they didn't have to decide, hey, guys, when, when, should we, when, when do we want to take a family trip to Jerusalem? Do you guys want to do that this year? Should we, should we go and try to get to the temple and offer a sacrifice there? No, it was built into their calendar three times a year that the, the men were all required by the law to go to the temple, offer sacrifices, be a part of this 
festival. And the festivals were reminders of the things that God had done for them uh, as a people in the past and a celebration of what God was doing for them and an anticipation of what God was going to do. Three times a year was just built into their calendar. The Sabbath was also built into their calendar. Every seventh day, they, their community just shut down. Like all of the, you know, all the businesses, all the organizations, everything stopped on the Sabbath. So the people could have this spiritual rhythm built into their lives. And we kind of go, man, that, that, that would be nice if we didn't have to make choices ourselves, but our, our culture just would shut down. There, there were, some of us can remember a time when it seemed like it was sort of like that, when most businesses were closed on Sundays and uh, we sort of had that, that you know, built-in time. You know, you didn't have, when I was growing up playing sports, we didn't have games or practices on Sundays or on Wednesday nights. Those were just considered off-limits for sports because we, they assumed, you're, you know, we, you're going to go to church, right? And we kind of look back and we go, man, that, that, was, that was easier because we didn't have to make choices. Do we, go to, do we go to sports tonight or would you go to church? Do we go to the game Sunday or do we go to church? Like that choice was already made by our culture. And this was what Jesus, this is the culture he grew up in. They just, they, they had these rhythms built in. They were non-negotiables. And so Jesus' family, they go uh, to Jerusalem every year for the festival of the Passover. Verse 42. So when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, Jesus is, uh, his age is significant at this point. He's 12 years old, which uh, throughout uh, Jewish history, it was either 12 or 13, and it's kind of changed a little depending on the, the, the history. But this is the point at which a, a, a Jewish boy becomes a man. They didn't really have, like, we've got this adolescent phase where you're, you know, you're in between for, like, it used to be, adolescent used to be, like, 12 to 18, you know, and, and that's your adolescent. Now, now adolescence is like 10 to 27. That's, that's, no, no, that's, I mean, I, it is funny, but it's, it's actually true that that's, that's adolescence. And we didn't, they didn't even have that. They went, you, you're 12, you're a boy, you're, the next day you're, you're a man. You take on the responsibility. In fact, uh, they had a, 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 t- a phrase that they would use for these young men that, that were turning 12 or 13. It was, they, they became a son of the law. That, that's what they would call it. You're a son of the law. So now you are individually, personally responsible for keeping the law of God. So before you're, you, you turn 12, your parents are responsible for teaching you to obey God's commands. When you turn 12, it's on you at this point. It's on you to understand the Torah and to live it out in your life. It's, it would be in our culture like, okay, now you can be tried as an adult. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the, the sense at 12 years old. This is also the time which a young man would start to apprentice with his, uh, usually with his father, but to apprentice in a trade and become a, a master of a trade. Um, and, and if his father was a master of a trade, then he would apprentice with his father with the plans of taking over the family business. And you think, man, 12 years old is pretty early for that. Well, the, the life expectancy was a lot shorter than it is now. And so a boy of 12 years old may only have 10 years or so to get this figured out before his dad passes away and he becomes the provider, right? So this all starts at 12. So this is significant that it's at this time that Jesus goes uh, to the festival and Luke is recording this. Uh, Let's go 43 to 47. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. All right, there's a lot going on here. Let's unpack this a little bit. Um, so uh, Jesus is, uh, he's, he stays behind. He's, 
He's in this weird phase that, that we would kind of, it's like 17-year-olds now, or 18-year-olds who are still living at home. It's like, okay, you're, you're an adult, you've got a job, you've got a car, uh, and so you, you have a lot of freedom to make decisions, but you're also like, you still live in our house, and so we're responsible for you, and we have some choices to make about your life. Jesus is kind of in this is in-between phase where his parents are learning uh, how much to let go, right? And so he stays behind. His parents uh, figure out, it takes them a while to figure out that Jesus has stayed behind because they, they traveled in a big, you know, a big group as a family, and they just didn't recognize that he wasn't with them. And when they find him, they find him at the temple. And so when we, when we think about the temple, the temple wasn't like, you know, this room, and it wasn't like Jesus was inside the temple, you know, where the sacrifices are made and where the priests do all their stuff. Uh, only the priests could go in there. Jesus wasn't a descendant of Levi. He wasn't inside the temple. He was in the outer courts where people would gather, especially during the festival times, to listen to the, the Sanhedrin teach, the, the religious leaders, the experts of the law would come out, especially during these festivals, and they would, people would gather around them, and they would, they would have sort of like Bible study, but it was, it was very question and response oriented. And so not only would the, the teachers teach, they would ask questions, and the students would respond. Then the students would ask questions, and the teachers would respond, and it was just a lot of give and take. And they, they sort of, I don't know if they picked this up from Socrates and the Socratic method, which was 400 years before this, but this is sort of how they did their, their Bible studies. It was a lot of question and response, and not just, not just lecture. And Jesus, at 12 years old, is participating in this question and response with the teachers of the law, and everyone is really impressed <laughs> with what this guy knows, with his ability to ask um, and his ability to respond. And he is, he is building these, um, these relational habits that, that is, is going to make people call him rabbi just on their first meeting. People meet Jesus and they go, oh, you're, you're a rabbi. We, we understand exactly what you are. And Jesus is building that um, here even at, at age 12. So verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So again, it's this period of tension where it's the parents are learning, you know, what, what, is, what is it like for us to let go of, of our almost adult child, our adult child, and everyone's learning what the boundaries are. <clears throat> but also, don't you think Mary and Joseph felt a little extra responsible uh, for the Son of God living in their home? And they're like, hey, man, <laughs> like, we, we have to protect you. Like, this is our job to make sure you get to, you know, adulthood and you are able to do the things that God put in front of you to do. Like, this is kind of on us, and it's a lot of pressure, Jesus. Would you give us a break and not just disappear for three days so we don't have to freak out and, and make sure that the Son of God has not been kidnapped in the back alley in Jerusalem somewhere? I mean, like, I can try to put myself in Mary and Joseph's place and go, yeah, that would bother me if if this... This like, I mean, not only are our children precious to us, but this child was precious to the entire world, and it's my job to make sure that he's safe. Man, that's a lot of pressure. And so Mary and Joseph are like, man, you, you can't do this to us. You're, you're, you're killing us here. Uh, so Jesus' response, verse 49 and 50, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus says, like, oh, I, I thought you guys would just know where I was. Why would they just know where he was? Well, if, if at 12 or 13 is when a, a Jewish boy begins to apprentice uh, in his father's trade, Jesus is kind of going, you guys know who my father is, right? Like, like my real father, my heavenly father. You know who he is, right? You know where he hangs out, right? 
Like, why wasn't that the first place you went? Jesus is kind of going, I thought you guys would just automatically, you would go to my father's house to look for me because it's time for me to begin to learn the family business. And so uh, he's trying to guide, gently guide his parents into this embracing what he's on earth for and acknowledging, hey, my primary loyalty is to my heavenly father, right? So is he creating some distance? Is he creating some separation from Mary and Joseph here? Well, not, not exactly. I mean, if we read the next couple verses, here's what happens. Verse 51, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. <clears throat> so Jesus does make it clear, my primary loyalty is to my heavenly Father. I just want you guys to remember who I am, what I'm here for, and this, like from, from here, this is my job, is to, to be near the presence of God, to, to learn to teach the Torah, like this is, who, this is what I'm here for. But then he goes home, and he is uh, submissive, to his parents. He just does what they tell him. Do you think there were ever times when 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old Jesus was right and his parents were wrong? Probably because they're parents. And sometimes, kids, plug your ears, sometimes we're wrong. And yet Jesus submitted to his earthly parents who were sometimes wrong about the choices they made, the things they told him to do, their expectations, so yes, his primary loyalty was to his heavenly father, but he didn't use that as an excuse to disobey, to be disrespectful to his parents. He submitted. It wasn't in that moment about who deserves to be in charge. It was him being submissive even to his heavenly father. It was his heavenly father's will that he submit to his earthly parents. It's like, kids, you can unplug your ears and listen to this now. It is your heavenly Father's will that you submit to your parents. That's God's will for you. Obey them. Respect them. Parents, you're welcome. So what, what can we learn here from these rhythms and habits that show up in Jesus' early life and, and how they lead us to become the kind of people God created us to be? Well, first of all, we just need to acknowledge and embrace this truth that our habits reveal and shape our character and values. Our habits, the, the, the things that we do on a consistent basis, they show other people who we are, and they also shape us into who we are at the same time. They reveal and they um, shape. And you, you know this, right? You, you know that, that um, if, if you have a habit of going to the gym five times a week, and the people who see you at the gym are like, well, this person really cares about their health, and they're really uh, giving some time and energy into becoming healthy. And what they don't see is, is that I'm at home eating ice cream and cookies the night before, so I've got these two competing, you know, habits in my life. One is going to the gym, and the other one is eating garbage all the time, because we're human. We're like that. We, we, don't, we don't live consistently, really. But, but those habits reveal, they reveal some things about me. They reveal that I do care about my health, but they also reveal that I, I really like to eat junk food. Those two things are both true about me. And our habits shape our character. Which, which habits are going to win out? That's the question. What kind of character do we really want to have in our lives? So some of us need to do a values audit. This is a good time of year to do a values audit. If I were just to ask you, what are your top five values as a, as a person? The top five values. Could you, could you just rattle those off for me? Most of us could not. So this is a good time to think about this. Um, I would encourage you to go, you can go online, you can find a values audit. I actually have a, a, a sheet that's printed off 
that uh, I couldn't tell you exactly where it is right now, but I've got a bunch of copies of it, and I will find them right after this service and make sure they're available for you. Where, where you can just kind of look through this list of about 40 different values, and you kind of check off the ones, you go, that's, that's me, that's really important, that's really important to me. And here's what we should do. We should do this values audit, we should identify, here are my top five or six values, the things that are most important to me that I hold dear, and then go back and look at your calendar from 2021 and your finances from 2021, and just compare your calendar and your finances to the values that you hold. And, and does your calendar reveal your values, or does it clash? Do your finances match with what you say is most important to you, or is there a, a disconnect between those two things, your calendar, finances, and your values? And what we want to do is we want to become the kind of people, don't we want to become the kind of people that our values are consistently lived out in our lives? We're not, we're not just all talk, right? We don't just say we believe these things. We actually, we actually live these things. We let them affect the things that are most precious to us, our time and our money, our relationships. Another part of your value audit is you could take your values list to the people who are closest to you, your spouse or your parents or your kids, and you could say, do you see these values show up? When was the last time you recognized these values showing up in my life? Well, that's, that's terrifying and probably a little farther than most of us want to go, but if you, want, if you really want honest feedback, give it to the people closest to you and say, do you see these values in my life? Because, 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 like we, like we said at the beginning, God has God is sort of created us to be a certain kind of people. And, and it's, it's a high calling, and it's one that we often find that we, we, we disappoint ourselves, and we feel like we disappoint God a lot, but he deserves 100% of us, our whole life. Are we willing to give it to him or not? Are we willing to build in some habits that help us become the kind of people that live out our values? So I just want to go through three habits that I think we can sort of think about. These are kind of broad categories we can think about building in uh, to our lives for, for next year. And see if they can help us develop the character that God wants for us. First of all is the habit of spiritual rhythms. We see this in Jesus' family. Jesus, uh, his mom and dad, the whole family, they go to Jerusalem uh, every year for the Passover. Uh, and, and only the men were really required to go by the law. The women could have stayed at home. The fact that Mary goes along just indicates this is a very devout family. They, this is really important to them. They take this very seriously. And so what do spiritual rhythms like that look like in our lives? So for them, this, this, there was a cost attached to this. So they, they lived in sort of a, a culture and a time when, for a lot of people, if you don't go to work today, you don't eat tonight. That, that was kind of the reality for them. So for them to take three, four, five, six days off to go to a festival was a huge statement of faith. I believe if I take six days off to go to this festival, God will somehow provide for my family. It was a huge sacrifice and risk for them to build these spiritual rhythms into their lives. Even just the seventh day Sabbath. Again, if you don't work today, you might not eat tonight. And for them to take a whole day to shut their businesses down was a huge statement of faith. God, I believe that if I set this, side of time, set this time aside for you and honor you with this, you will provide for my family. You'll give us what we need. Because this rhythm is more important than me working seven days a week. This rhythm is more important than uh, me skipping out on the festivals of feast days. That, that's kind of what it was like for them. What is that like for us? We don't have these festivals built into our calendars, right? I mean, we've got some holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and people often take an extra day off or whatever when those times come around. But what, what do spiritual rhythms look like for us? What does it look like on your weekly calendar for you to say, man, this time is set aside for God? 
I'm, I'm going to rest in him. I'm going to focus on him. I, I'm not going to let anything else dominate my thoughts, my heart. But my relationship with God, that's this time. What does that look like for you? I mean, you're here, so I assume Sunday morning is kind of a, a time that you've set aside and said, this time is valuable. This time is, I, I want it to be a habit. Because habits reveal and shape our character. The fact that you show up on Sunday morning reveals something about what, what's most important to you. And the fact that you do it again and again, week after week after week, kind of shows like, hey, this is, this is shaping me into the kind of person that I think God wants me to be. And again, we, we, our culture, unfortunately, we have to compete now. Back, if you, if you think back, maybe in the 50s and 60s, and, and for, I don't remember all that, I'm sure some of you do, but if you, like, when you didn't have a lot of other options on Sunday, there weren't, there weren't other things to do. Your sports teams, like your kids weren't playing sports, and your, your favorite restaurants weren't open. You didn't have all those options or competing factors. Well, now we do. We have, there are so many other things you could be doing today than being here. And you made a choice. And for some of you, it was a sacrifice. And, and, and especially as we, as we get away from the holiday and you get more into just, just kind of work mode and sports mode, and you're going to have choices. What are we going to do with our Sunday morning time? Where are we going to set aside time in our calendar? Many of our microchurches meet every single week, one night a week. And that is a sacrifice, guys. In our culture, it's a sacrifice. You're going to say no to something in order to make it to microchurch every week. Guaranteed. You're going to say no to something almost every week to make it. Are you willing to make that sacrifice to build this spiritual rhythm into your family's life to say, okay, listen, we, we got a lot to do, and I do have to go to work and provide for my family, and I do have to do these other things, but man, I have to make time to, to make sure God, Jesus is right at the center of our lives. We're going to make sacrifices with our time and money to make sure that that happens. That, that's, that's the kind of spiritual rhythm we're talking about. So I just want to encourage you, take a look at your calendar uh, over the last year, and what, what were the spiritual rhythms? What did they look like? Can you take a step forward in your spiritual rhythms um, this year? The second habit uh, that I think we can look at is the habit of asking and listening. So as Jesus is at 12 years old, uh, sitting there in front of the Sanhedrin, and there's a lot of asking and listening going on. If I, if I can kind of review um, that text here, it says that uh, after three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. He was listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Um, I think a lot of us like to skip the asking and listening and go straight to understanding and answers. We're pretty sure that we understand stuff, and we're pretty sure that we have answers to most people's questions. And so we just want you to know how much we understand, and we want you to know that we know all the answers. Well, how do you get understanding? You can't get understanding without asking questions. And if we think we understand something, but we haven't asked questions about it, then we're fooling ourselves. And we probably don't understand it at all. So Jesus knew, and he developed this, and he, this was a habit, and it carried on into his teaching. When you read through the teachings of Jesus, it's not all just lecture. Jesus does a lot of asking questions. Why? Was it because he didn't know the answer? No. I think asking questions do a couple things for us. First, it, it encourages people to think deeply. When you learn to ask good questions, you are helping people think deeply about their lives. This is great parenting uh, strategy. Ask your kids questions. It's really easy as a parent to just go, well, I'm in charge. I'm just going to tell you stuff. But man, when we can ask questions of our kids and encourage them to think deeply, we find that, that sometimes the, the answers go down a little easier, and maybe we don't have to do so much of that. 
Uh, the second thing asking and listening does is it helps us actually understand people. If our goal is to love people well, man, how can you love someone well that you don't understand at all? How do you understand somebody? You need to ask questions. Jesus understood people. He asked questions. I mean, classic, woman at the well, John chapter 4. Just read through that passage. See how many times Jesus asks questions of this woman. And, and she answers, and it, and it takes the, every, every question that he asks takes the conversation deeper. Well, we could do that with people. We actually have a class coming up next year called How to Have Spiritual Conversations. And that, that, that class is going to be focused on a lot of how to ask good questions. That's spiritual conversations based on good questions. Jesus did this. And you know when you're with somebody who, who can do this well, you, you feel a difference. You've probably been in a room where there's a person that's very sort of me-oriented. And every story that somebody else tells, well, they've got a story like that. And every, everything that you say, they can connect it in some way to their own life and their own experience. And one thing that, that we, we're aware of, that that person is not learning anything about the rest of us, <laughs> right? They're only telling us about them. But you've also been with people who ask good questions. I sat with uh, a lady this week who lost her husband about a month ago. And I'm asking her, like, how are you? What do you need? What, what's your day been like today? What are you thinking about? And, man, she just didn't put up with that for very long. She just started asking me questions. Like, oh, how are you? How's your family? How's your wife? How are your kids? Like, what are you guys planning to do for Christmas? And I'm like, she, if anybody has the right to just be a little selfish for a moment, it's her. But what is she doing? She's trying to get to know me. She's trying to understand me. She's trying to encourage me to think deeply about my own life. And I just value that so much. When people are good at this, man, you, you see it, and it makes a difference. And we can all be better at this. So I just want to encourage you, build this habit, ask, and listen. Build these habits into your, into your life. By the way, those two things are tied together. You cannot separate them. You can't, uh, you can't really understand people if you're not listening to the answers that they give when you ask the question. So that seems obvious. Uh, finally, uh, I just want to talk about the habit of submission. This is what Jesus does when, after he declares to his parents, Hey, just, just, just to remind you, my primary loyalty is to my heavenly father. And then he goes home and he obeys his parents. He submits to his earthly parents. This habit of submission, even when he was smarter, even when he was wiser, even when he was the only one in the house that was not going to do anything wrong, he obeyed and submitted. How often do we use our own righteousness as an excuse not to obey, not to submit, but to actually be disrespectful? Because I know, I, I know the right thing here, so I don't have to do what you're suggesting that I do. This is, this is difficult. Um, our, our family went to a restaurant last week to celebrate a birthday. And in the lobby, they had a sign that said, uh, thanks for wearing a mask in our lobby. And uh, we kind of looked around in the lobby, and nobody else was wearing masks. But the sign said, thank you for wearing a mask. So I had a stash in my pocket. I pulled them out. We passed them around. Everybody put a mask on. And one of my kids said, Dad, nobody else is wearing a mask. And I'm like, well, that's not really the point. The point is, what are we going to do, right? So we made a choice to submit to the request, even though it didn't seem like anybody else cared. We're vaxxed and boosted up and, you know, but we did it out of respect for the people who asked us to do it. Did it cost us anything? Not a darn thing. It was fine. It, was, it didn't cost us. It was really easy to do. And the only reason to not do it for me in that moment, the only reason to not do it would have been kind of this act of like miniature rebellion of just going, like, I just, I just know better. I know that I don't have to do this. I know that this doesn't matter. I know that, you know, I know all of these things, therefore I don't have to submit. And Jesus didn't do that. He knew a lot of stuff. 
more than his parents did, and he submitted. He obeyed them. So if I want to be like Jesus, if I want to let his life impact my life, then I submit. And it's just the little things, right? The 20 items or less line at the grocery store, and you've got 25. And you're like, nobody's, nobody's counting. But you know those people who are counting, because some of you are those people. You're, you're counting other people's items, and you're like, 21, get out. You, need, you shouldn't be in here. But just, just submit. What does it cost you to submit to that? You're not breaking the law if you take 25 items through. What does it cost you to submit? Nothing. It's a sign of respect to the people around you. And here's, here's how Jesus will talk about this later in a parable. In Luke 16.10, he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So we go, oh, it's just a little thing. It doesn't really matter. And Jesus goes, the little things are what matters. The little things are what I care about. That I'm watching how you act in the little things before I know if I can trust you with bigger things. So can we submit in the little things? And, and maybe Jesus will give us opportunities. So I just want to challenge and encourage you today uh, to think about your habits, how your habits reveal and shape your character and your values. And maybe consider, uh, do, you need to, do you need to drop some some un, unhelpful, unhealthy habits? Do you need to build in some healthier habits for the new year? And, and then I think we're going to ask this, we're going to bump into this question. What if I build in healthy habits and it doesn't get me what I want? What if it, it doesn't get me the relationship that I want? What if it doesn't get me the job that I want or the raise that I want or the income that I want? What if it doesn't get me the leisure time, the time off that I want or the vacations that I want? What if, what if I do this and it doesn't really get me what I want? If that question has crossed your mind or you felt it in your heart, you need to be here next week. That's what we're going to talk about. A little teaser. To be continued. For today, I just want to encourage you. Would you stand? We're going to close with a word of prayer. I just want to encourage you as we leave today to recognize um, in addition to all we've talked about today, or I've talked about, you guys just sat there and listened so respectfully. In addition to what I've talked about today, that this is not just about me and me becoming a better person. This is about how I am being salt and light to the people around me. This is about people around me who need to see. There, there are Christians around me who need to see that, that actually following Jesus, it actually, we can live this out. We can let it impact us in ways that are, are good and a blessing to the people around us. There are Christians who need to see. They need confirmation. Prove to me that the gospel really works in your life. But more than that, there are non-Christians. There are people who don't know Jesus. And they need some proof. They need some evidence that this gospel actually makes sense, that it actually works, that people can actually do this, that, that people who follow Jesus are actually different from people who don't follow Jesus. They need some evidence. And this kind of stuff, this will prove it to them. It's hard. It costs you something. And it's absolutely worth everything that you pay. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, for his, his example for us, for the way that he just lived out exactly who you called him to be every single day. And that's something that sometimes we feel like is so far beyond us, God, that we're not sure we can live up to it. But man, you give us so much grace. And we're thankful for the grace for when we mess up, when we let you down, when we disappoint even ourselves. Thank you for your grace. And Father, continue, please, to call us higher. 
Call us to the life that reflects the nature and character of Christ. Call us, Father, to a life that is salt and light to the world around us. And use us to be a blessing. God, our, our greatest celebration will be if somebody would come to know Jesus because we're living out the gospel. Would you do that in us and through us? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a great day.